If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Welcome to the Girl on Top Shallon XO podcast. I'm your host, Shallon Lester, and you might know me from my YouTube channel, where I analyze celeb relationships and scandals for the lessons we can take into our own lives. But here on the podcast, I answer the best questions you submitted over the past week. Gotta love quandary? Head to my website, shallonlester.com, to get connected, and also shop my merch and take some fun quizzes. Be sure to rate and review this podcast if you like it, and follow me on Instagram at shallonxo, and find me on YouTube for four new videos a week. Welcome back to the podcast, Shalloners. Let's do our breathing meditation and get in the right headspace. So we're going to get comfy. We're going to take that bra off. I haven't worn a bra in weeks, and quite frankly, I never intend to again. And just roll our shoulders back, drop them down, take our tongue off the roof of our mouth and breathe in through our nose. And exhale. We're going to do that again. In through the nose. Hold for a few beats. And exhale. And remember our mantra during quarantine. Thank you for my healing. Thank you for my protection. Say it to yourself. Thank you for my healing. Thank you for my protection. You got to claim the blessings before they even get here in order to really maximize the chance for them to arrive. So we're going to talk first about a situation we don't often get to talk about, gay dating. All right. So we have a question from James and he said, I've been hooking up with this guy for three years until December when things started to change. We spent a night together and ever since a few weekends getting to know each other. I'm 21 from an upper middle class Jewish family from Long Island and he and his family are Muslim immigrants from Yemen living in Brooklyn. When I asked if he, I'm sorry, when I asked if his family knows he's gay, he said he would never tell them and that it is completely unacceptable in his culture. He then continued with a lengthy plan on how he's basically going to live a double life with a man. We're very compatible and we both could offer a lot to each other. What do I do? So what stood out to me in this message, and I know you're probably thinking like, okay, well, I'm not a gay guy. So trust me, you're going to get something from this. What stood out to me is that, you know, James, you told me, you spent this whole message telling me that this guy is not particularly committal. I mean, you've been like fuck buddies for three years, right? He's not comfortable with who he is. And that's not ever going to change. And then you closed it with, but we have so much to offer each other and we're super compatible. How are you defining those words? What on earth is this person offering you? Love? Let me tell you something. If he doesn't love himself and believe me, if he doesn't accept himself, he can't love himself, he's never going to love you, right? Is he offering you courtship and flattery? Well, no, not really. It doesn't sound like he's been pursuing you in a legitimate way. So let's go back to him not being able to accept himself and therefore love himself and therefore not be able to love anyone else. He is going to get resentful and punitive and mean. I've seen this play out so many times and that's always the trajectory. You were always going to be his dirty little secret and be in the shadows and don't you think you deserve more than that? I mean, I think you do. 
Don't you think at some point you'll get resentful that you are out and proud and confident and bold and brave and told your family and walked it like you talked it and he doesn't? He'll get resentful about that, right? And he's going to try to minimize you because he knows he won't be able to be at your level, whether it's his own insecurities, his culture, whatever, whatever valid reasons, but he's going to try to cut you down to where he is. It's called leveling. We see it constantly. It's really sad that this is the path he's on, but it is. And it doesn't have to be your path. You've come this far. Do you only want to come this far? Because dating someone in this position, that's exactly what that's going to mean. Limitation, moving backwards, a life in the shadows. And again, that's not what you deserve. Look, I get his dick's probably big. Every Muslim guy's hung like a horse for sure. But I promise you, you can find someone who's packing heat and also wants to hold you up like Simba for all the world to see like the prize that you are, right? But you're not going to find that if you stay in reverse with this guy. And his journey is his own. And hopefully he's going to kind of like grow into his own and make the choice that he's allowed to live his truth and walk in the light of that. And honestly, maybe you saying, you know what? This situation doesn't work for me. Maybe that's going to be the splash of cold water he needs. Maybe you're going to be an example and be like, you know what? No, I'm not going to move myself in reverse because because you're stuck in neutral, right? And maybe you'll serve as an inspiration. And maybe he's going to look at you and be like, I want to live like James. I want to live on the level he's living, even though it is scary, even though it's going to take some sacrifices. But that's got to happen in his own time. And that doesn't have to be something you're standing around for. Like I said, you deserve more. This next question comes from Stasi. She said, I think I'm doing something seriously wrong with my interaction with guys despite learning so much from you. I love you. I'm finishing my PhD and I'm also a salsa teacher and I meet new guys all the time, but I never get approached in a romantic way and this just frustrates me. I get compliments about my looks, but maybe I come off as too strong and aggressive or indifferent. My reaction to this is to try to be even better in what I'm doing, science and dancing, in order to overcompensate the lack of romance. I am confident in general, but it hurts me to succeed everywhere, but not with dating. Ugh, you know, when I look back at my own dating history, I see a huge correlation with my career going well and my relationships going south. So I completely understand what you mean. It's like, I used to say that all of my trophies were building a fortress around me, you know, like the higher I would go, the lonelier I'd be. And for the longest time, I thought the same thing. Oh, I'm just, I'm too successful. I'm too intimidating. But uh, Giselle is married, so I don't really know what I'm basing that in. Actuality, though, it was because I was too prickly. I had this attitude of, you need to be fucking worshiping me because I am so awesome. I'm a boss. What's the matter with you? But then that would very quickly flip into the exact opposite. Why doesn't anyone like me? I want to be liked. So it was almost this like mania type of thing. I was either very spiky and aggressive, always leading with my resume to try to show off and overcompensate, or I was this turtle without a shell, just begging for love. Surprise, surprise, boys didn't exactly love that, right? So I started issuing myself a challenge when I went on dates. Stop talking about what I do for a living. Stop bragging about it. Stop leading with my resume and instead lead with the sweetness. Be a good listener. Talk about things that have nothing to do with career. And if I do, touch on it and then keep the conversation moving. And it's not 
it's not like, oh, downplay my accomplishments. No, but I was leading with it, you know? And then I would set up this adversarial relationship with guys because I was the one who created this sort of like pissing contest. And who wants that? You know, I didn't want to go on a date with someone like that. I didn't want to be friends with someone like that. So why was I being the thing I wouldn't date? You know what I mean? But then, you know, exactly, I flipped to this, like, why doesn't anyone like me? So I try to make that my vibe when I go out also, because I didn't realize it, but I was giving off a confident vibe, but it was also this weird mania of like, why don't you like me? I'm so much better than you. Like that wasn't confidence. That was super insecurity, you know? And also I think just a little bit of an attitude switch is going to help. Honestly, it really wasn't that difficult to switch that attitude because I am sweet. I am normal. And so are you. Like you're so smart. You're so accomplished in so many different categories. It's crazy. And when I just stopped approaching situations with this expectation of meeting a guy and then rage when people didn't respond to me the way that I thought they should, ironically, people did start to respond to me the way I thought they should. So maybe just switch your attitude up just a little bit and see if that helps, right? Also, try to get involved in some different things other than science and dancing, things that are brand new. It's natural for us to be pulled towards the things that we're good at. I mean, we want the validation, right? Like who wants to do something they might be bad at? Well, someone who doesn't necessarily care if they're bad at the thing that they're doing, they're caring more about the people they're meeting along the way, right? It's hard to meet people when we're doing the thing that we're best at because we're operating on such a high level. It doesn't leave room for meeting people and connecting. But when you're trying something new, you're a little bit more vulnerable and soft in a good way. So get involved with a political campaign, volunteer, join a co-ed cooking course, get out of your comfort zone and actually you'll find a lot more bonding occurs. This next question comes from Katie. She said, and she titled it, my serial bride hater best friend of 15 years pulled out of my wedding and my life. I was like, holy shit, buckle up. It's going to be good. She said, Rachel has pulled out of being a bridesmaid for three brides in the past. I am number four. The only thing I ever asked of her, my maid of honor, was to visit a dress shop with me and get a hair and makeup trial, which I paid for. I paid for everything. She refused to attend any of these events and never said sorry. She sent me a long text message saying she wasn't going to be my maid of honor because I was being demanding. She shortchanged my family and my friends and basically stole $300 from me when she canceled my bachelorette party. I look back on what should have been a magical time, but she really made it a misery. She's getting married soon and is having a great time from what I hear. But my actual wedding day was the best day of my life. So I don't know how to move on from this. Dude. What? What the fuck? Okay, so she sounds like incredibly selfish and frankly like a little bit unhinged. And I strongly doubt she's having a great time wedding planning. But even if she is, who cares? Good riddance. Whatever. She's her husband's problem now. She doesn't have to be yours. But I do think it's interesting that you chose this person to be your maid of honor when she has backed out of three other weddings before this. It's like I say all the time, we know what's wrong with her. What's wrong with you? What were you telling yourself to give this person a fourth chance when you have seen her behavioral pattern? You've seen it. It's not even anecdotal. No, this is not a fun question to ask ourselves. What's wrong with me? But it is one that leads to growth in the healing. I think maybe the reason it's hard for you to move on from this is because you kind of did see this coming. When we're blindsided, we can sometimes move on faster because we just don't feel any culpability. Oh my God, my husband had a whole other life. I had no idea. Like you're stunned, but you don't feel responsible. And when we do feel responsible, like we should have known better, 
then we're mad at ourselves, right? And maybe beneath the surface, you do feel like you're kicking yourself because you saw the writing on the wall about who she was, what her behavior was like, and decided to give her a chance anyway, you know? Maybe you thought, oh, she's going, she loves me more, so she's not going to do this. Maybe you were setting her up to prove her worth, to prove her love, and it was like, it was destined to fail, you know? Like, had you been maybe more objective with yourself and her, you would have come down this road. And I'm not saying this is your fault. Like, you're not responsible for her behavior. She's a goblin and a shit bird. But when we feel stuck, we have to acknowledge our part in it. That Because that's why we're stuck. We're mad at ourselves. So we got to, like, really get to that root. And I feel like there is a root here. Like, do you feel that this is a pattern in your life? Are you always giving people the benefit of the doubt, even if they don't deserve it? Even when the evidence is there and the writing is on the wall. Does your mom do that with your dad? Does it have a family element or pattern? It's just something to think about, you know? Because like I said, sometimes getting to the root of things from our side of the street can help us process the situation and move forward. But look, any way you slice it, there is no way around the fact that this stupid bitch ruined what was supposed to be a magical time in your life. When I was engaged... I saw completely different sides of people that I never anticipated, both good and bad. There were some people who completely stepped up and they're like, anything you need, I am here for you. And there were other people who could not even pretend to be happy for me. Couldn't pretend to be happy for me. One of my friends, she was like my work wife, one of my best friends. After my wedding day, which was gorgeous, gorgeous, made fun of how I walked down the aisle. I I didn't. I didn't cartwheel down there. I, I literally just walked on my mom's arm. Like, it was very normal. I had a veil, and she's like, I mean, you were just, like, looking down. <laughs> and then you'd, like, look up. And then you look down. And then you look up again. I'm like, what is wrong with you? I was like, well, the veil sticks to your eyelashes. I was like, you would know that if you were married, Jen, but you don't even have a boyfriend. Like, don't fucking come for a bride on her wedding day. But it was just like, where is this coming from? It was so bizarre, you know? Weddings are a lot of emotional issues. They kick up a lot of things and it really separates the real ones from the fakes. And if we're smart though, we hold on to those lessons and we don't forget what we see because anyone can be nice. Anyone can be fun on a night out. Eh. How does someone act when your happiness invades their idea of what their life should be, right? When they cannot be happy for you because they don't have what you have. That is the deadly sin of envy, you know? sin of envy. I'm like swallowing my words. But I think the takeaway here is that, girl, you don't have to give people second chances. And how they behave towards others is how they are going to behave towards us. We are not special. We are not an exception to the rule. We are the rule. And if we set up this like bluff, this prove your love for me, we're going to lose and then we're going to feel resentful that we pin so much on these people who in our heart of hearts we knew didn't deserve it. So hopefully this has all made you a little bit elastic in a healthy way with the people in your life. And I hope that bitch gets divorced. This next question will probably make your blood boil because it did mine. So Lauren submitted. She said, I started a new job a month ago. Last week, I found out two of my subordinates are trashing me hard on their private chat to which I got access since one of them left their Telegram session open on the company iPad. Isn't everyone always caught by the iPad sync, right? They say I'm unqualified and they want to get me fired. They criticize my clothes, everything, everything I do. 
I've had really mean bosses before, so I promised myself I would never be like that, but they've mistaken kindness for weakness. I'm peaceful and it sucks I have to be tougher, but I don't know how to deal with this. How can I become more like a bad bitch boss without losing my soul? So fuck these little sluts. God. But I mean, look, on one hand, like you said, you've had crazy bosses before and you don't want to be like that. And it is natural to trash the boss. It, you know, it is. We all complain, eh, management, blah, 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 blah. But it's another thing when they're actively working against you to get your to get you fired. You know, like we complain about the boss, oh, he's making me work extra and he wants this report a day early. That's like the typical things. This seems to be going above and beyond that. And people like these two little skanks, they're cowards. And when we encounter a coward, we have to put the nail in the coffin by calling them out on their bullshit. We have to absolutely fucking body them. So this is what I would do. I would call them into a meeting, preferably with other people. That's crucial. And print out this chat if you can. Print it out. Ask them to pick parts and read it aloud. Make this the most miserable, humiliating experience you possibly can. Do you know why? Two words. Appian way. This is an example I've used before in Evil Week, and I'm going to keep using it. In ancient Rome, there was one road into Rome and one road out, the Appian Way. And Romans would crucify all of their criminals for everyone to see along this road. It was a nice little welcome because it was supposed to serve as a warning. If you come into Rome and you fuck with us, this is what awaits you. So if you choose that behavior, you are choosing the consequences, right? Whenever I have to call, call someone out, I make sure to do it publicly. I want people to see that I will make an example out of them if they try to cross me. I want to serve as a warning for others. I will fucking crucify you if you come for me. And I'll do it in front of your peers for maximum humiliation. I will teach you a lesson you will not forget. And yeah, that is scary. It's scary. But you have to let go of the idea that everyone needs to like you. They don't. They do need to respect you, though. And clearly, these people do not. And look, I also strongly doubt that they're the only ones talking shit about you. I'm sure that these two people have infected other people in the office and are trying to turn them against you. So you have to crush the uprising. You know, people are always going to feel discontented at their job and blame their boss. And you know what? That's valid for sure. But when you call them out, make sure you end all of this with a message to everyone else. If you have something you need to say, constructive criticism, criticism or feedback, you are always welcome. My door is always open. But if this is how you're going to behave, the consequences are going to be dire. Remember, what you permit, you promote. Kellyan submitted this next question. And oh, baby, it's a doozy. She said, I've been dating this guy for six months. The last two months have been long distance, but we made plans for visits until I can move with him and finish school together. We recently had a wonderful visit together and everything was magical and perfect. But then 10 days after he got home, he ghosted me. My boyfriend of six months ghosted me. I contacted friends, our close mutuals, even his mom. And it turns out he ran out of minutes on his phone and purposely ignored me. His best friend says he'd been hanging out with him the entire week he's been missing in action. So, okay, what? What did I do? Like, all right. This story of running out of minutes, the, is, it's not 1998. You don't buy minutes from your phone. Okay, if you do, if he's buying minutes for his phone, child, he's broke. And you ain't moving in with a broke boy like that, okay? It's 2020. Even if, even if 
He dropped his phone off the edge of a cliff, whatever. There's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, email, eBay. One time, I literally had a guy message me on my eBay through my mom's account because he was trying to get in touch with me. If something is important, a man will find a way. And if it's not, he will find an excuse. That's just human nature. And we can't make excuses for people who aren't even making excuses for themselves. I hate to say it, but I kind of feel like he met someone else. This friend who he was hanging out with when he was missing in action, that sounds very sus to me. It feels like he was like, hey, dude, can you just say I was with you so Kellyanne, like, when she asks? Like, he was just randomly volunteering that information because in your message, in nowhere in there did I hear my boyfriend was volunteering these stories. No, he's having other people. Um, he's out of minutes. Um, he's been hanging out with me for a week. Do you know many dudes in their 20s who like can be for a week without any sort of technology? I don't, right? When people ghost, it's usually because there's someone else that they were dating on the side that's pulled ahead of the pack and now they're seeing if that can be a viable relationship or they're just plain cheating. People don't ghost and go into hibernation. There was always someone else. If they vanish for you, they've appeared for somebody else. And when they come back, it's because they realize that their side piece eh, maybe actually wasn't that enticing or whatever. But let me tell you something, girl. Nobody ghosts just once. No one. If this is fundamentally how he feels it's appropriate to communicate, he's going to act like this for the rest of his life, especially if you let him. If you let him back into your life and you move heaven and earth to contact him, which just proves it actually is possible to contact someone when we want to, right? Then why would he change his ways? Like I said, what we permit, we promote. My new motto is, if someone behaves badly on their way out of your life, they don't deserve to get let back in. He could have broken up with you with a fucking text message. You can send it while you're on the toilet. He could have had someone else compose it, right? He could have been respectful. He could have been honorable. He purposely and relentlessly, many, 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 many times chose to do the opposite. Well, when you choose a behavior, you choose the consequences. And the consequences is this person does not deserve a place in your life. And I am so sorry you had to go through this. Being ghosted, it is, it should be outlawed by the Geneva Convention. It is so torturous. It is so purposeful and punitive. But honestly, I, feel, I really feel like it is a blessing that this person revealed his true colors before you moved your life literally to be with him. This is not a good person. This is not a mature person. Honestly, you dodged a bullet. Well, that's it for this episode of Girl on Top. Thanks for being part of the Chalantourage. If you have a love question you need some help with, find me on my website, shallonlester.com, and be sure to connect with me on Instagram at shallonxo and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Stay sweet, stay savage. Stay savage.